tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Michigan gas station incident, final appeal from Texas, San Francisco cliffside cult, and you have V-mail. Oh, okay. So just I thought you hit hit record like five I, minutes. I ago. didn't because I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think we were done shooting the shit yet. So oh, just, okay. Well, yeah, didn't. it was a very ambiguous uh, thing. <laughs> okay. What well, what's our intro again? It's uh. Um, just, hey. Oh. Uh, uh. Yeah. Okay. So um. Uh, I'm I'm gonna count to three and then pause for a beat and then I'll introduce myself, and you'll introduce yourself, and say the name of the podcast okay 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 what is the name of this podcast again <laughs> uh reenacted an unsolved mysteries podcast okay that's that's right that sounds right okay yeah. one two three hi i'm your co-host crystal and i'm your other co-host robert and this is reenacted an unsolved mysteries podcast um Crystal, uh, I have to say, starting with our first segment, yes, Michigan gas station incident, yes. Um, you know, the bad boy stereotype and girls falling for it um, is something that gets played a lot in the media, mm-hmm. and I feel like this uh, this is like unsolved mysteries contribution to that um this is a story that we're involving a young woman under 18 uh who falls for a a very dangerous man Mm -hmm. and the result of this is that on may 11th 1987 uh they get involved in what turns out to not only be a robbery but a murder uh and it was really interesting because this segment started before the show itself started, which I found a little jarring. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like they're not really being consistent with this program. Like we, we, <laughs> had, we, had, we had the conventional opening with like, you know, Robert Stack telling us all the stuff and then the, the intro that this one just started straight with the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the bumper segment. Um, but yeah, basically we have a situation where, a young woman named Missy Monday, or, or Melissa Monday, and she goes by Missy for short. Yeah, I uh, I have it written down, Missy Monday missing since May, which I thought was a <laughs> real fun tongue twister. <laughs> um, gosh, I didn't think of that. Uh, that's actually, wow. Um, yeah, uh, Missy Monday missing since May um, was Now do a- it three times fast. Missy Monday, hold on, I don't have anything to, my throat is, Missy Monday, missing since May, Missy Monday, missing since May, Missy Monday, missing since May. That's good, you did a good job. Thank you. Okay. Um, Yes, uh, she was a young uh, high schooler who fell for a man named Jerry Strickland, 
um, which is pretty much the kind of name that you would assign to a guy who like has a mustache and is, just... is Jerry Strickland of Strickland Propane? <laughs> uh, you know, I have to admit, I too was thinking about that throughout this uh, segment. I mean, because you see, it's Strickland. The customer comes first. But yes, she fell for a guy named Jerry Strickland, who was at least a decade older than her. Um, and I have to say, like, as uh, as hickish the reenactor looks, the fact that this that the real Missy Monday fell for the real life Jerry Strickland. Oh my God! I know. A hundred times worse. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but who apparently, to quote Missy's mother, uh, comes across as something of a smooth talker. Um, their story begins is that basically Jerry stops by their house to inquire about property next door, whether there's a house for sale. I, I'm not quite sure what his uh, grift was. I mean, maybe he was just out trying to, like, Find houses where, like, a forlorn teenager is going to come to the door and stare out longingly at him. Um, what kind of neighborhood would you describe that as? <laughs> um, I would say uh, solid middle class hick neighborhood. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's the vibe I got. Like... I mean, the, the, the mother, when you hear her voice in real life, she, you know, she sounds pretty, you know, rural, but, you know, not like, not too rural. I, I guess maybe a, a five on the rural scale. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, you know, she, uh, the, the reenactment shows her clearly like, I don't know if this is a situation where you just had a strict mother who wouldn't let like the daughter out to do anything. And it's just like, she comes to the door and she's like, sees a man for the first time in like 16 years. Uh, but yeah, like apparently she just immediately starts sneaking out, meeting up with this guy in the parking lot of sheets. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that there was like a vintage, uh, they were doing the reenactment in a parking lot of a sheets, which, Open 24 hours. Man, do you know about Sheets, though? I do not. Is this something you know about? It, it, it is only only uh, because I because of a work thing. But Sheets is a... And for our, uh, for our viewers <laughs> west of the Mississippi, Sheets is a very large and still in existence and going strong. Uh, it's kind of like an AM-PM. Uh, so they do gas, but then they have a pretty comprehensive convenience store as well so i think it's like uh northeast u.s Um, i i saw some in pennsylvania and i got really excited because i had heard about sheets yeah in the in the five (laughs) seconds of research i did on sheets yeah uh it did say it it was primarily pennsylvania based but throughout the midwest and that upper south area um but yeah like you know they're they're meeting up there exchanging rings um i mean it, you know it, if if this was like uh, set in the 1300s it would come across as some sort of almost romeo and juliet thing you know if, if romeo was someone who maliciously assaulted 
uh, raped and uh, tried to murder his sister-in-law, which apparently is Jerry Strickland's real background. Yep. Um, and yeah, like she runs off with him, uh, which just, I mean, to me, like this, this strikes me that this, this is not something like a normal 16 year old does, right? I mean, this, there, um, there has to be something going on in life. Well, I would, there's, there's two sides of this coin, I think. Um, one of them is, uh, she's either, she was either a very naive 16 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or there was maybe something going on at home, which they I think they uh, actually allude to, because they interview her um, her high school friends back in Maryland, <laughs> show her high school yearbook photo, mm-hmm. and she looks like she's about thirty five years old. <laughs> yeah, that that's what had me like like really confused they show like some pictures of her yeah she she looks old right okay so but then they go and they interview her high school friends and all of her high school friends look like moms (laughs) and and then i was thinking well maybe it's just that effect from being in 1985 which is this this popular styling is such that you have these like weird short haircuts and big glasses and big sweaters and and it makes sense that you would think like oh they look like moms because the only people that we've seen now who who dress and look like this are when we had old pictures of our moms oh uh where were we before we we, uh we were uh missy missy monday is now running away with jerry right jerry and they they at some point have a kid um together uh that seemed to happen really quickly i mean not just in real life but in the reenactment um and you know obviously they're living Wait, how much did they reenact in the reenactment i wasn't paying that close attention well you know like they at some point like you know they're they're interviewing the mom and she's like yeah she just ran off da 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 and then it cuts and like Missy is like they're holding a baby while Jerry works oh, on the okay. truck. Okay, so they didn't like reenact the birthing of the baby or anything like no, that. No, no, there's no pregnancy oh, or okay. gestation period whatsoever. We, we we just go to like, you know, a, a fully formed uh, baby just appearing out of nowhere. Oh, okay. And well, that seems like a detail. That seems like some oversight on unsolved mysteries part. Yes, I I, I concur. I want a it, full reenactment. <laughs> It was very jarring just to see this this infant who I haven't had any prelude introduction to. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in this this though for me the most interesting thing in this first scene we see him in is like Jerry's working on the truck and I don't know about you but it looked like to me like there's a point where like he reached up and he wiped his hand off on Missy's sleeve. Did you catch that? No. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's working on the truck. She's, you know, talking, yapping at, at him about, you know, some woman thing. Like, oh, we don't have, you know, any baby food or some, you know, jazz. And, like, he just reaches up and, like, brushes the back of his dirty, you know, automobile work hand on, like, her long sleeve sweater. Um, it, it, I think it was meant to imply the sort of casual disregard he has for those around him. You don't 
dick. Um, but th- you know that's what stuck out to me until we got to um, <clears throat> the actual robbery uh, sequence itself, which like th- this involved Miss. I guess to me- help supplement their income, Missy went to work for a gas station. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize you could go to work for gas stations at 16, but, you know, maybe you could oh, in 1980. Oh, dude, you totally. You can do it now. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and she, in the course of this, she becomes very, very familiar with a, a man named Elmer uh, DeBoer. Uh, that's what I, that's what I have, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he's the courier comes and picks up the cash, and obviously Missy informs Jerry of this process because they set up a, a slightly elaborate robbery in which um, Jerry kidnaps both uh, Elmer and makes it look like he's kidnapping Missy at the same time. Uh, I guess th- their speculation is this to to make Elmer more cooperative in this kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I guess he's not in it alone, or he's trying to, like, keep his cool so he doesn't get this young woman killed along with him. Um, but really, when they take him out in the woods and Jerry uh, offs, you know, kills him, mm-hmm. I mean, it, to me, uh, this, I mean, I, I think what they really hammer home here is immediately after, they go and buy a blue pickup truck with cash. Yeah. And Jerry goes off to buy insurance. And, you know, while he's gone doing this, I didn't realize you could just walk somewhere and, you know, go somewhere for a couple hours and get insurance. Uh, I didn't realize it was that easy. But um, while she's he's gone, Missy is talking with the salesman. And I guess, you know, they, they point out she has the opportunity here to, like, be like, hey, this guy is a psychopath. He just killed, you know, my friend from the gas station. But uh, obviously, she's allowed herself to be lured into uh, into this 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 horrible world of crime. Um, and so, when they they leave in the pickup truck, she leaves a note behind. And I found it interesting that, like, you know, one of the main concerns of this note was emphasizing to those reading it that she she wasn't no whore. Um, you know. And then uh, we get uh, immediately get an update, and I say immediately because apparently, like dozens of people called in immediately after the segment aired, uh, uh, and they were picked up in Moses Lake, Washington. Um, yeah, which, uh, they, I think the the time between them being picked up and the show airing was about seven hours. That's what I wrote down. Right, and yeah. I have. And I have the feeling that the, the only reason it took that long was probably just the police bureaucracy because, like, those calls came in immediately. I mean, even – apparently even Missy and Jerry watched the segment. Yeah, isn't that something? Yeah, which, I, you know, I can't help but feel that was probably something that happened a lot in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I think – well, it certainly happens more than once um, in Unsolved Mysteries where the yeah. where the perp or the alleged perp is uh, – is watching the show and gets ready to get picked up. Right. Right. Um, yeah, this, this was, uh, this was our first gas station segment. And I gotta say, like, this was 
definitely I'm not a, a big true crime guy, but this was sufficiently interesting enough with the you know the the weird high school relationship. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot to say about this situation, generally speaking, which is, I don't think it's, I think the murder element is probably uh, what's exceptional about it, but this situation in general is probably really common. <laughs> is it common, eh? Well, yeah, I mean, you have some, some manipulative older guy uh, you know comes into a young woman's life and she yeah and, and and the situation can obviously be reversed I mean like you can look at you know a, like a female high school teacher seducing uh, one of her male students it's like you, there's a power imbalance there and it's not necessarily gendered but I think it, this happens quite a bit where you have um, an, an older person coming in and, and using a younger person to satisfy their ends, whatever they may be. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, the younger person uh, suffers the consequence of, of not knowing what boundaries are or what's okay and what's not okay in a relationship. And they like end up murder going, or robber, armed robbery. Yeah, armed robbery, <laughs> not knowing that, um, you know, and it's also very possible that Missy was fearing for her safety as well. So... Uh, yeah, I think I think the cops leaned kind of hard on this. Well, she had this two-hour window, and it's like if you've been like psychologically worked for a considerable period of time, we're assuming here at least nine months. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you might the terror might run a little bit deeper. You're not just you're not even necessarily thinking you're being held captive i don't i don't know man like i i think it's probably ridiculously common and, and like i said not always ending in murder but um right. it's just a shitty situation with people being shitty so <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> uh, okay well um so how many stacks would you give the segment on the stack spectrum um you know, maybe two. two. I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't really get a good reenactment the way I, I wanted. Um, you know, the the taking the guy. I mean, they were pretty graphic about the guy who got taken out into the woods and shot in the back of the head twice. But um, yeah, not a lot. I mean, like I said, this feels like a really commonplace story and I guess I guess the mystery was where are these two but they've been found so I don't really have any lingering sense of wonder and right I, we, I mean we've gotten closure yeah I feel like justice was served because Jerry ended up he got they got both of them got extradited back to Michigan from Washington and stood trial and Jerry got two life terms and Missy ended up uh, uh, she turned on Jerry so yeah good she got, she, finally she got the deal. yeah and she got uh seven months in a juvenile facility so uh, you know i feel like you know i don't know not not a lot to wonder about here no not at all i you know i was gonna give it three sacks but listening to your description of it really has you know made me realize that i think i'm i'm also just giving this two stacks
on uh, July 14th, 1979 in Garland, Texas, uh, a man, and I'm putting this in air quotes, a man named Doyle, who was a <laughs> gas station attendant, uh, was robbed at gunpoint. A man named Michael Scott Martin was identified as the uh, perpetrator of the robbery. But the complication comes in is that uh, Martin had five alias. What? No, that's not the right word. Five alibis. (laughs) Uh, He had five alibis and in a town where he lived saying he was at home 70 miles away. So the nature of this segment is that it was called a final appeal, which I don't know that we get too many of these. Um, Yeah. I I didn't realize this was a segment. Yeah. Uh, This is, this was, this might even be like a one-off. Are Um, they just going to be creating like different types of segments? I thought we were pretty much just had UFOs, ghosts, murders, family reunions, and lost loot. But, like, uh, yesterday we had a Mysterious Legends, and now we're getting... Uh, yeah, we have a, a final appeal. Um, I think, the, I mean, the majority of the show is obviously, like, wanted, right? They're looking for someone, but... Yeah, um, yeah, that's the preponderance. But, yeah, so this is this is kind of unique. And so, for, for the segment, they've interviewed um, both this man named, quotes, Doyle, who they keep in uh, sort of a shadowy shot um they don't bother to mask his voice though which i thought was kind of weird <laughs> but they do don't they don't show his face and they don't give his real name um and i i think that was probably a smart move considering the nature of this segment um so that the, this man doesn't face retribution uh for possibly incorrectly identifying uh, who robbed him so uh so martin is a big part of this segment martin the guy who's now in jail for the robbery um, so he was tried and convicted, uh, he had one prior and now he's serving life, um, but maintains that he's innocent. Uh, so the problem with this is when the cops picked him up, they didn't have any physical evidence that he was the one that did the robbery. They didn't recover any money from his person or his home. Um, there was no gun recovered, so they never found the gun that uh, the robbery was was done with. So this is where it gets really interesting, is that the prior arrest was from a drunken altercation in a grocery store from about <laughs> seven or eight months earlier, from as far as I can tell, from the robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really, I, I mean, I'll <laughs> save my rating for the end of the segment, but this is really one of the most primo reenactments I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, so they recreate, <laughs> unfortunately they can't use Martin himself as they do with other, with other reenactments cause he's in jail, but, oh. um, they recreate this drunken altercation <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's two guys in a grocery store that are hammered and they're no shirt, no shoes, no, no ties, so. <laughs> just eating, um, what are they? I wrote it down. What are they eating? They're eating like sausages, Polish sausages and crackers. And then they try to bail out of the store and the cashier and manager are like, nah, you guys got to pay for what you ate. And um, they refuse to pay. And and Martin apparently gets in his car 
in the parking lot and <laughs> um, the manager follows him out there saying he's going to call the cops and Martin takes he had like a six shooter pistol or something in his car because Texas and <laughs> Texas in the late 70s I, this, none of this surprises me and Martin just fires it off in the air he doesn't point it at anyone he just fires it off and then he drives away well of course you know he gets picked up for this uh, I don't think he he served like any any time to speak of he just gets put on parole uh, yeah. or probation or something for for this incident Um what I thought was really funny is it was either the DA or, or the officer that arrested him uh, made some comment to the effect of who gets in an altercation over Polish sausages <laughs> and uh, then fires a gun. And I'm like, well, I think you have your answer. You, you know who does. Right. Well, you know, I'm just amazed that, like, of an entire grocery store, the thing they choose to open and eat is Polish sausages. Well, uh... Robbie, (laughs) now here's where you don't understand because you don't drink. This made perfect sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, too, have been drunk in a grocery store, and... Um, while I don't think I would attempt to leave without paying, I've certainly been tempted to or have broken into some snacks. And uh, definitely if you've been drinking, you want to get your protein in. So I, I see why they went for the Polish sausages. I see why they went for the crackers. It just seems like a great choice on, on a belly full of alcohol. Okay. Totally. I totally understand where they're coming from. I don't understand why they were rude about it. Uh, that's where they lose me. The other thing is when when Martin is recanting his side of the story, he was like, oh, I was a dumb kid. I was 26. And I'm like, nah, dude, 26 is way too old to be pulling that shit. <laughs> yes. Like, maybe if you were 18, okay. But 26, like, you were, like, well into your 20s at that point. There's no, there's no being, you can be drunk in a grocery store. You can break out the pole of sausage, but at 26, you should be paying for that. And you certainly shouldn't be getting into a fight over it. And you certainly shouldn't be firing off a gun. So, yes, I, I think there might be some like cognitive issues with this guy, but well, well to, to, he did yeah. say that, you know, in retrospect, that the incident just didn't make any sense. So, uh, I mean, you yeah, know. Yeah, he, he couldn't piece it together. And again, <laughs> I, you know, I've been drunk too. I get it, dude. I just, I, I, I don't say, know why he had to get violent about it, you know? I, I love the way that him and his friend were just swaying <laughs> as they walked down the aisles. Yeah. Uh, reenactment. Uh, that was, that, that for me just made the reenactment. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, the not pulling the knife and shooting in the parking lot was just icing on the cake. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of, you want some of this? <laughs> uh, there, was, there was a lot of that happening. Yeah. So, to get back to the main story, um, back to, so seven months later, this gas station robbery occurs. Uh, this guy, Doyle, gets held up at gunpoint. Um, the, the gas station robber stole Doyle's car. The police spotted the car in what is apparently um, Michael Martin's old apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess like the next day or so, a cop sees uh, Michael Martin driving near the gas station that had been robbed. 
Not in the getaway car. In his own in his own vehicle. Luke. Um, so, uh, at that point, I think there's like some pr- some pretty intense interviews with with I think three out of five of Michael Martin's alibis from the town that he lived in, which was 70 miles away. So that's pretty considerable distance. And I guess the day of the gas station robbery, there was only two hours that uh, he couldn't be accounted for, like between like 5 and 7 p.m. And like Michael Martin was out visibly working on his truck in his front yard and his neighbor saw him and his friend was there helping out with the truck. And then I guess the day ends with uh, his friend and Michael Martin um, watching uh, the original Battlestar Galactica, which comes on at seven. <laughs> you so... know, I, I've never <laughs> been in a market that where Battlestar Galactica was shown at seven on network TV. So, well, I, I, I just felt <laughs> I had to mention that. I, 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 this version of Battlestar Galactica I think was a little bit before both of our both of our times. Right. Uh, this right. is this is the OG one where uh the you know the Cylons uh look actually like machines. Um, and characters have explainable motives and <laughs> and and there's actually battles and plot. Uh, um, well, I, there there is plot in the new one, but that's besides the point. I, I'm sorry. I'll let you get on with. Uh, yeah, uh, my we'll s- we'll save that for Battlestar Galactica cast after this. <laughs> uh, so, so Michael Martin um, gets gets picked up. Basically, I guess on the evidence that the cops saw him the next day driving near that gas station. That's the and, and the car that was used in the getaway was found in an apartment complex he used to live in. So this is, this is really thin. This is really thin, but uh, nonetheless, Michael Martin goes to trial. Um, so he has a jury trial. They don't, they don't, they don't do a plea bargain out of it. And I guess the first offense of him having this altercation in the grocery store is admitted as evidence in the uh in the trial so the jury ends up giving him 20 years to life for a 400 dollars robbery where they never recovered the money crystal uh, do you believe that that is a just sentence um you know i wasn't in the courtroom and according to i think one of the one of the legal i don't want to say the da because the da actually ends up kind of walking back this whole uh trial and arrest um but that sounds like some texas justice to me so point taken (laughs) i don't know if that's what actual texas justice is but apparently it's 20 years to life for 400 dollars from a gas station um so in in interviewing martin who's who's saying that he's innocent uh the, the da is also interviewed and he's saying you know i don't I don't I think the evidence was a bit too thin to have convicted him on and then you have the other side of the coin which is of course law enforcement saying of course he did it because he once got in an altercation uh he once stole some Polish sausages so clearly he must be able to hold somebody up at gunpoint um 
so anyway, uh, at the time of this interview, because the crime took place in uh, 1979, so he's being, uh, Michael Martin's being interviewed, I think it would be 1987 or 1988. Uh, he's been serving, he's been in there for nine years. And he has 11 more years to go before he comes up for parole. Um, so apparently after the episode was aired, Martin was released from prison. But he is now on parole for life. Uh, right. I, I, I'm gathering that he was just released just, you know, the same as if he'd been guilty and they were just, they needed to make room or, you know, they're just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you that's basically something. what it is. Yeah. Yeah, this, I, this I, hasn't been expunged from his record. He wasn't found innocent. They didn't do a retrial. They just released him. So, uh, so thoughts? Well, you know, it's I, I've I've already made it clear in uh, the previous episode how I felt like this show sometimes uh, might air on the you know with, with these true crime segments with sort of just being like, oh yeah, they're guilty. You know, I mean, you know, not right out and say it but just that's the implicit tone and i kind of f feel like uh in this one they're you know they very much sort of try to paint him like the protagonist like this is a guy whose life has been ruined um mostly just based off the fact he tried to he, he ate some polish sausage in a grocery store and reacted poorly about it and that because of that horrible mistake, he he was found guilty of another crime, and yeah, like I I, I felt that this, I I appreciated that you know they this this was definitely something where they're trying to give someone a fair shake, so yeah, um, and it just serves as a reminder. God forbid you get accused of anything. Especially in Texas, apparently. Well, especially anywhere. It's like even even if you, you know, get first of all, there's all the time you spent in prison, right? Yeah. But there's also, you know, this man is out. Um, like, how's this dude gonna get a job? How's he gonna get an apartment? Things yeah. like that. There, you there's know? stigma, like. Well, it's not stigma. It's like you can you can legally be uh, yeah. discriminated against if you have something on your record. So just just you know, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, somebody doesn't like the look of you. That can be the end of it. And I think that's this whole case is an important reminder of uh, the terrible flaws of our judicial system. And plus being, being 20, I mean, I don't know what the, the thing is in Texas. It might be like a second offense gets some kind of minimum sentence. And in this case it was 20 years. 20 to life. Yeah. But that, <laughs> first of all, that, yo, that's just expensive. And as a taxpayer, I'm not into that. And then, I mean, I mean, it's that saying of like, you do the crime, you do the time. That's fine. But can we make the time reasonable to the crime? Like, and and plus, I mean, you know, you know, this is also a case where this there, there's a some serious doubt whether this guy even committed the crime. There's there's some serious doubt he should have even been considered for it. I think they yeah. really just didn't have the very good evidence at all, at all yeah, yeah. to pick yeah, him up. Yeah. So well, yeah, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but when you said that, basically, you know, they the police were like, yeah, this is the guy who did it because 
he drove by that gas station at some point. Yeah, and it was the I think it was the arresting officer in his first offense that spotted him and was like, "Well, he must have done it." Yeah, I mean, like when they do that reenactment, I very much it, it feels like uh, you know one of those psycho or pulp fiction scenarios where it's just that horrible timing that like someone crosses your path at just the wrong time. I I think I think that was exactly it, and you know I I we don't get another update on what happened with the conviction, uh, but you know I hope I hope he was able to I hope Martin was able to go on and live some kind of life after this, you know. What are we gonna rate this reenactment? How many stacks are we gonna give it? You know, honestly, like in terms of how interested I was, mm-hmm. you know, I would normally just say two Uh since this is you know about trying to help someone like you know salvage their life i'll give it three okay i really enjoyed uh the grocery store portion of the reenactment so i i think i agree with you i'm gonna go with three do you want to uh get to what i i assume is what you've been waiting all night for all night and all last night uh yeah i i'm let's talk about it this is uh san francisco cliffside cult segment (laughs) three of uh unsolved mysteries uh so on september 8th 1984 um there's a young man from concord california again we're getting the the concord connection that was in the first episode too people who might be listening that are somehow not from the bay area uh that's contra costa county it's in the east bay it's due east of uh san francisco and to the northeast of uh berkeley and oakland so just to give you some context it's it's Mm. some real suburban shit it's real shit okay Okay. uh it's where the mall was (laughs) (laughs) uh okay so uh so we got a conquered boy and he's headed into san francisco on september 8th 1984 um very early in the segment uh kirk kirk mcfall is it kirk or kurt kurt that at least that's what i heard can you can you spell it what you what you heard K- well, what I heard, if I had to make make it into some sort of uh, written form, would be K U R T. So you heard Kurt, as in Kurt Russell, not yes. Kirk, as in Kirk Douglas. No, not Kirk, as in Kirk Douglas. I, honestly, though, like what had me distracted that was that his last name had Fall. I know, isn't that <laughs> like so unfortunate? <sighs> Oh, God. I, wrote down, I wrote down unfortunate last name in parentheses. <laughs> I'm really glad I brought, you know, I wasn't going to mention that because I, but, you know, the fact that, that, that we have that revelation now makes it worth it. Okay, so. <laughs> so very early in the segment, they mentioned that Kurt was apparently some a part of some satanic cult, um, which sets the tone for the rest of the segment that I don't really care for. <laughs> um, and they're coming pretty hot out the gate and suggesting that it was foul play that Kurt's, Kurt's uh, eventual death um, on this weekend he spends in, in San Francisco was a, a murder. Um, so 
we open up with finding that Kurt's body has been found in the cliffside area of San Francisco on the beach. Um, that's an area with some pretty rugged cliffs facing the Pacific Ocean. So it's Pacific Ocean facing, not uh, bay facing. So think Golden Gate Bridge area. Um, and he didn't have a shirt on, I believe. And I think you are correct. So I think they described him as half naked. So I assume that was shirt off, not pants off situation. Um, so his there's another friend in the shadows. They don't give his face. He mentions that Kurt was fearing for his life because of all the witchcraft and mysticism. Um, that's a direct quote. What on earth it has to do with a satanic cult? I have no idea. Um, because these things are not the same thing. So, uh, there's, there's, a, I'll save, I'll get on my soapbox at the end of this. I'll just get through the details. Um, okay. so Kurt went to stay with a friend that was apparently the leader of this cult, cult in big fat quotation marks, uh, in San Francisco for the weekend. Um, after he was found dead, Kurt's dad, back in Concord, um, starts going through Kurt's room and finds a pouch of magic things. Because he loved magic so very much. <laughs> and was apparently, Kurt was involved with, Robbie, are you ready? I, I, this is some oh, dark shit. This is some yes. dark shit. He uh, was playing Dungeons and Dragons. You know, if if this <laughs> podcast was in written form, you would have to, like, bold and and italicize that to really emphasize just um, a dark revelation this is yeah it's uh it's real dark i don't i don't know if anybody listening to this has ever been involved with dungeons and dragons um but according to kurt's friend it's like once you get in you think you can just do it sometimes but then it's like you're doing it all the time it's like drugs you can't just do it once time Crystal, uh, I have to, I have to make a confession here. Oh God, what is it, Robbie? Um, and I'm not sure if I've ever just offhandedly mentioned this. Oh, okay. Or, What's going on? I did uh, during a period of my my life play some Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, uh, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, are you okay, are you okay now though? Yes, you know, like. You know, I, I can live a, a pretty normal, productive life. It's just, you know, I, I try to avoid going by any place that has, like, three-dimensional shapes, like a, a, you know, box shape or anything that would be used to make any sort of multi-sided die. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm still, you know, working off the effects of the... I don't know, hundreds or thousands of pizzas I consumed. Oh, wow. And, oh, wow. So you were in, uh, it sounds like you were in pretty deep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it really was not like, okay, uh, not to, to make this the Dungeons and Dragons podcast, uh -huh. but in this game, like, there there has to be someone who gets stuck with the shit job of being the dungeon master, who's uh -huh. basically the narrator uh -huh. and set stuff up so the other people can play and have fun. It sucks. It's basically like an additional homework assignment. Uh-huh. And I have I don't think I ever had a situation where I was ever able to evade being that person. 
So, um, yeah, uh, I'm living. So you, a, were, so you were not only were you involved with Dungeons and Dragons. You're telling me you were like a cult leader. Uh, I guess you could say that. Yes. Um, oh, I I didn't. I, I, I never. Didn't, I didn't know this about you at all. <laughs> I um. I can't say that this this ever resulted in me having like uh you know like uh, a ridiculously athletic eighteen year old like staying outside in my living room until he decided to just go like jogging in the middle of the night. Yeah. yeah. At one point, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, yeah, for I would say a two to three year span, this this was this was a, a big part of my life. And then, uh, I guess I, I just, um, I guess I just got tired of it. So I stopped, which I know, uh, according to our, 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 our dark clouded based guy is yeah. something that can be done, but I'm, I'm living proof that cold Turkey is possible. Wow. Well, I, I think maybe where Kurt got in a little too deep is I, I think Dungeons and Dragons was maybe the gateway to some other activities. Why? Um, so th after that, he starts getting involved with the Society for Creative Anachronisms, <laughs> or SCA, yeah, as it's referred to. Uh, they interview uh, the leader of this uh, clandestine group, and her name's Hillary. And, uh, holy shit, uh, this woman and her outfit she chooses to be interviewed in. Uh, uh let me describe it. Um, <laughs> if anyone's ever seen The Big Lebowski and you remember, <laughs> remember the dream the dude has about the, uh, nihilists, uh, chasing him with these oversized pairs of scissors and they're wearing what are basically, like, I can't remember if they're red or black, but like full body, body. unitards with like a hood. So yes. it covers their, their scalp as well. That's what Hillary is wearing is a full body red unitard. So you can only see her face. Um, yeah, holy shit. So uh, to describe the Society for Creative Anachronisms, it's basically a live action role playing group as far as I can tell. Um, members, you know, fashion their own weapons and armor. Um, you know, so there's some cosplay and elements. I, and I realize I'm I'm saying things like LARPing and cosplay. Uh, <laughs> As if you knew what they meant and really had a context. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think most people in 2017 do have some exposure to these things. So, yeah. But maybe, you know, in 1984, this was, this was unknown territory. Um, I, some, I, some might call these pioneers of LARPing, honestly. I mean, I'd say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, um, I guess you could say that because I, I certainly, um, uh, I, I, I can't imagine people were actually LARPing at this point. Um, well, in, in the reenactment, they sure as shit were. Right. Well, I mean. <laughs> You can kind of you can kind of actually say that 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 what they what the SCA is doing is more akin to say you know a fantasy version of civil war reenacting. Uh, yeah, you could say that. Which I promise our our listeners at some point you're going to hear a lot more about. Uh, anyway, so Can't yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait for that. 
so to get us back on on track here, um, Kurt goes even deeper, and apparently he gets uh, through the members of this society. He gets led into initiation of some kind of pagan religion. So to backtrack, so far we've covered uh, it was first a satanic cult, and um, maybe it wasn't satanic. Maybe they didn't use that word, but they definitely used the words uh, witchcraft and mysticism. Which I guess is more in line with a pagan religion. I think, you know, in, in that, you know, back 30 years ago, that if you say pagan, occult, mis- mystic, blah, 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 I think a lot of people were just going to automatically, by route, lump that into satanic worship. Because satanic panic was such such the big thing then. Well, it's, that... Yeah, and in 1984, and, and certainly in 1987, we're in full swing satanic panic at this point. So... Um, I, I feel like probably to accompany this particular episode, I should draw a graph of peak satanic panic in the United States. Um, but I, to, to be clear, the reason I'm being so critical of this description is because uh, people who subscribe to being part of the Church of Satan are generally secular humanists, and they don't they don't do things like witchcraft or spells or anything like that um it's also satanism is kind of a reactionary movement to mainstream christianity at least in the united states and that differs quite a bit from like people who actively practice witchcraft and pagan religions um Uh. so i think the pagan religion falls outside of the dichotomy of like the christian or, or western concept of what god is so just just to clarify why I'm being so critical and why I think it's really kind of ignorant that all of this stuff got lumped together. Uh, and, and Dungeons and Dragons along with... Uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I, can, I, can, I can see the vein from going from Dungeons and Dragons to an interest in sort of fantasy role-playing to eventually maybe being inducted into some kind of pre-Christian religion. Um, I can see, I can see that train of thought, whether or not that's actually what Kurt was up to. I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, it it seems to me like it's possible, (laughs) but at the same time, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot weaker than like someone who like grows up a Star Wars fan and actually joins the military because of it. I mean, I feel like that's something that happens more often. Or maybe it's closer to, like, someone who grows up a Star Wars fan and then actually believes in the Jedi religion. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know they're out there. Um, so, so anyway, Kurt gets involved with this uh, pagan g- group, religion, what have you, um, and it's led by a, name, uh, led by a man named Gabriel Carrillo. Carrillo? Carrillo? Carrillo. I can't help you out there, Crystal. It doesn't matter. This guy's name is Gabriel. Um, and so he's the leader of the craft. Uh, <laughs> and his shit is magic. Uh, so the, I, my takeaway from Gabriel when they interviewed him is that he just kind of sounds like a secular dude that does some light witchcraft. Um, so Kurt goes to stay with him in the city uh while while he's staying with gabriel he decides to go out in the middle of the night to take a walk i guess gabriel lives kind of near cliffside um 
And then the next morning, Gabriel's body, or it's not Gabriel, Kurt's body is found on the beach, as I described earlier. So uh, I guess Kurt's wallet keys, but not his sword fighting outfit, his prized bespoke sword fighting outfit, uh, were found in the in his car. And there were a bunch of beer cans uh, also scattered around the car. So uh, this does not add up for Kurt's dad at all. Dad says Kurt didn't drink. Uh, parentheses, I say, okay, dad. Uh, uh, that's probably wishful thinking. But uh, Kurt's body had been in the water. His back had been scraped up. Um, the official cause of death was unknown. Um, so the, the dad says that the cor- the dad says that the coroner, they did not interview the coroner, I don't believe. I might be wrong. I, I, I have no memories of seeing a coroner. Like... <sighs> I actually kind of felt sorry for you because this was an episode bereft of, like, Crime Lab. Uh, Yeah, there weren't any, I don't believe there were any, maybe briefly they checked in with a law enforcement uh, person, but I really didn't. Um, So the dad says that the coroner thinks it might be a homicide, but they classified it as unknown, and the case remains open. Dad thinks it was foul play. Dad basically is insinuating that... Uh, Kurt found out some some like really deep secrets of this cult that he was involved in <laughs> and he knew things he wasn't supposed to know and therefore this guy Gabriel pushed him off a cliff um, <laughs> Dan has a lot of theories and and I think probably the, the truth teller in this segment is this guy Ga- Gabe. is Gabriel who says you know I understand the father's grieving but why on earth would I kill somebody who has been known to stay at my house? <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense. Um, they don't have any leads. Um, I, you know, I have my own theory, which is probably the the Occam's razor of it, which is kid got out of town for the weekend. He had access to alcohol. He probably went up in his car to the parks on the golf course near the cliff, which is where his car was found had a few beers, got drunk, and fell off the fucking cliff and died because he's an idiot 16-year-old. I don't think there's any story here other than he thought he was invincible and he fell. I, I think it's tragic, but I don't think it was foul play. And I think um, there's a lot of rabble-rousing about sort of satanic panic and and outside of mainstream religions here. I thought the segment was really biased. I think this is something we're going to like come up with when we get to the real qu- quackery <laughs> a couple seasons from now when we get, you know, to like, uh, there's, there's a bias in the show to give a lot of credence to the mysticism that goes with Christianity and Judaism um, and sort of just to disregard everything else as evil or satanic. And um, I'm certainly looking through this from like a like a trans historical point and sort of foisting my own whatever, but on on a show from 1987. But I think even then, it doesn't to say somebody is res- to even insinuate on television that somebody might be responsible for a child's murder because he might have different religious beliefs outside of the mainstream. I think that's pretty fucked up. I, yeah. think, I think they did uh, a real disservice. 
I hope they got a letter. I hope they got letters from like, you know, the pagan society of San Francisco after this or, or whatever, because, um, how out and open were pagans at this point? Like, was, was that something that was, you know, because of like, really, really only became a little, you know, less, I don't know, uh, stigma in the 90s or i'm not an expert i mean we don't actually get the movie the craft until the 90s so maybe that's (laughs) that was the turning point well yeah but even then even then it was like that was basically heathers with witchcraft like it was not a flattering portrait of people who who practice these things so Right, right. I mean, and, and, you know, obviously the more realistic scenario is just a bunch of teen girls who are just plain light as a feather, stiff as a board, right? Oh, I don't fuck with that, though. That shit is real. No, I'm kidding. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, honestly, like, I'm looking at this. This, yeah, I I agree with you. I I mean, I didn't necessarily come up with what the obvious answer was, but it, it was clear to me this was not... If this was a murder, this was not th- this guy's, you know, the, the uh, yeah. Gabe's fault. Because I mean, not only is he obviously just some guy who's just like, oh, let's all get together in my place and we'll, you know, do our uh, humming or hemming or whatever it is, and you know, um, but like he, I mean, not only does he seem like morally incapable of murder, but also kind of like physically incapable, because like this. Uh, Kurt seems like he was pretty well built, like body wise, athletically. Like this is this is just a jock that has like nerd interest, and I feel like if it like came to blows, he could just like pummel uh, Gabriel I, and hamburger I th- me. I think yeah, all of the above is true. Another option I was willing to consider is that maybe it was foul play, um, where Kurt wandered, being a teen boy in the big city um probably inebriated he might have run into somebody up there that he shouldn't have mm-hmm. and maybe it was just a total rando that did it that pushed him off well yeah gabriel said something like you know this could have just been a circumstance where you know he he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah i and i think i think that's um a, a very likely explanation for what happened i you know i think the dad wants answers um, but you know, sometimes the simplest answer is, I mean, especially when the dad's saying my kid didn't drink, I'm like, well, not that you know about, but he probably did because, yeah, you, know, you know, like the, the mother in the, our first segment insisted that her daughter never lied. So, um, well, you know, denial is more than just a river in Egypt, Robbie. So, <laughs> Uh, you know, and admittedly, like maybe we'll get better uh, satanic panic episodes uh, later on. But just oh, because, this, yeah, <laughs> but coming. just oh yeah, I know, I know. But just because you know, I don't really have anything to, to compare this to, and you know, it's just a topic that I love so much. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and just give it four four stacks for for the reenactment. Yeah, um. you know, yeah, you know, like. Uh, they're, you know, they, 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 they recorded a bunch of uh, guys in armor banging away at each other in the, 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 the parking lot of a BART. So that's <laughs> sufficiently interesting enough for me that I'll just give it four. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, with three. I didn't, I didn't get any good science on this one. So 
I, I gotta leave it at three. Okay, so I guess we go on to our fourth se- segment, our fourth mini segment. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our, you know, our, our, we have to fill in nine minutes of time. So, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Um, and this is a, a segment c- concerning V-mail, not email, but V-mail. And I kind of feel like, you know, I'm wondering how many. Uh, Kids have mentioned email in the last like twenty years and confused their elderly grandparents who may remember V mail. V is is it? Uh, see, I initially wrote it down as B mail, like B is a boy, <laughs> but it's V is in victory, right? Victory, yes. Okay. Um, and you know, I don't know about you, but I felt like they didn't really do do a good job explaining what victory mail is. Crystal, do you know? Can just to see if you know they were clear. Can you explain to me what victory mail is? Um, so my understanding is outside of the normal USPS services, there were dedicated uh, couriers to bring um, letters f- to and from the United States from uh, battle areas in the World War II theater. So it was. A separate mail service dedicated to service members to send letters, send and receive letters back home. That's my understanding of it. Yes, I mean, and that's the understanding I had after watching this segment. But <clears throat> after going to the Smithsonian's webpage, yes, it, my one and only act of research really so far for the show. Well, you know, than- you're not supposed to do that, right? <laughs> I kind of felt like you did some research last week, right? You didn't. You, you seem to be in a I lot... Might, you know, I might have Googled something, but, you know, don't accuse me of research. But in, in my Smithsonian research, because the thing was, is I, I just couldn't understand female. I mean, like, isn't that just male? I mean, just, you know, more patriotic. But I went on the Smithsonian site, and what the, the, the special aspect of it the thing that Unsolved Mysteries has failed us on that they don't mention is that this mail, in order to save space on ships going back, you know, back and forth, the mail, this mail was actually microfilmed for the journey to save space on the transport ships. And so it was blown up when it reached back to uh, its country, its destination. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, that that to me that feels like mentioning that would have improved this segment immensely. But uh, basically, instead, what we could get is just um, you know someone uh, who was responsible for a bag of this mail during the war <laughs> brought it home for some reason um, and left it in the attic. And you know, it's not until an exterminator comes by. Uh, and enters the attic and finds it and you know I don't even know if he understands what V-mail is or he's just you know he's found a bag full of unopened letters and you know that alone is enough to know that there's you know something going on here and uh, I guess the oh help me out here was it the man's wife niece aunt who like after he died she was too. I, it was it was his aunt. I distinctly aunt, remember yes. that it was his aunt. 
Right. She was too embarrassed to tell anyone about these letters, which, I mean, I, I guess I can understand. But, I mean, of all the things to be embarrassed about, I, I don't know. But short story, uh, short story made even shorter, the, these letters were delivered to the United States Postal Service, which has... Yes, have have come through, you know, uh, to reunite them with their owners. Uh, um, this was all done by the. This was all done by a particular individual, apparently, who, to me, just seems so excited to be doing something other than their normal <laughs> work routine. Um, you know, she's really into it. They they track down all but three, right? And then. Yep. And then uh, they're like, we still have these three letters, which I, I can understand, you know, other than dedication to making sure that the letter always reaches its uh, destination. I can understand why they're so adamant because they mention in the show that, like, if your lost love died, uh, you know, having the last thing they wrote to you would be pretty, pretty heavy stuff. I, I totally agree. I thought the segment was really moving. There was an extended interview with uh, one, uh, a World War II widow that got a letter from her husband who, who died overseas. Um, so my takeaway is this nephew who brought home this bag of letters is a real dick. <laughs> I, no, they, they said that he just forgot about it. It's like, why did you take it then? And, and also, I don't know, man. That's messed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I he mean, was entrusted with this, allegedly, and then just totally, oops. totally shit the bed on undoing part of his job, I guess. So. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, I was just glad to see that at the end and the little update thing, they managed to reunite the letters with their, uh, de- you know, their, the people they are meant to be sent to. Or at least, yeah, I, you know, it was, yeah, this was uh, a a sweet segment. Uh, Really, honestly, though, I kind of feel like I would have preferred this be something that comes on after a scary ghost segment, because then that would help to uh, make me be able to go to bed a little bit easier at night. I I agree that this segment would have been better placed after something a little bit more spooky. But yeah. uh yeah, I here's the thing though, most segments uh end with a call to action from from Robert Stack, like if you have any information or this is what we're looking for. I don't know what the mystery is here. <laughs> well, you know, I'm wondering whether this is a case of like this episode th- this segment's different from how it aired originally and they just sort of tacked on that uh you know, I feel like I don't know, maybe they've been, like, this this whole episode, right from the start, like I mentioned earlier, feels like it's been tampered with. Um, you know, maybe that's the mystery. Uh, I, but, you know, in trying to maintain the purity of which version we were going to watch, um, I think what we ended up getting is sort of rips off of DVDs. Um, that's my <laughs> assumption from our mystery source. <laughs> Of of watching hey, these episodes. So. Hey, it, it's all good. Um, I mean, if what we're reviewing doesn't resemble anything like what people can watch in a uh, order, 
at least now they 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 can turn it into a game trying to track down all these segments. It'll be their own sort of investigation. It'll it'll be their unsolved mystery. Yes, yes, I was hoping you would go with that. Um, um I I don't know that we should even bother to rate this last segment. I'm not like rating nothing it. here. So I am not rating this segment at all. This is not this is not a mystery that we barely got even what could be discerned as a reenactment. What we got was just an exterminator uh, reenactor who vaguely at first reminded me of Jeb Bush. He goes into an attic. He finds a bag of mail. He goes downstairs, talks briefly with the woman, and then walks out the the door with it. And that's and I mean, unless you count the male woman walking through the postal facility as a reenactment, that's all we have. <sighs> Dope. Robbie, do you have anything else you you wanna you wanna add before we uh? Call um, it here? You know, uh, last week I tried to, like, sort of briefly glimpse the next episode so I could kind of allude to what we had coming. Okay. And, you know, I, 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 I did not retain any of that to actually mention it, as uh, viewers may remember. Mm-hmm. This time around, I didn't even watch the, you know, glance through the uh, next episode. So I have nothing to add. Um. Well, that was uh, a long walk to no point, but thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's uh, this has been the reenacted Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Catch you, catch you on the flip side, homies. Yes. I don't know. I'm working. Well, we need like a catchphrase. I don't we know do. what it is yet. Maybe our catchphrase should just consist of us like, Horishly like telling people to go to our Twitter and you know retweet this and share it on iTunes, you know share it on Twitter. Yeah. Rate us on iTunes or whatever you're listening on. You know, give it, give us the gold star, five star, whatever star system your MP3 system uses. <laughs>